for those who weren't part of this morning's worship, uh, welcome. And um, Corey has already introduced me as uh, Mary Paul, and I come from Point Loma Nazarene University, and it's really great to be here and to be home and to be with quite a few families. So it's nice to have them here. I won't introduce them all. We'll, we'll uh, let that one go. You can meet them afterwards. But we're reading tonight from Matthew 6, and I know you just sat down, but if you didn't mind standing for the reading of God's word, we'll read it together, and then I'll let you sit down. Matthew 6, 5 to 15. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room. Close the door and pray to your Father who's unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. We give thanks for God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, we do give thanks for your word and pray that we would have hearts to receive, ears that are open, lives that are ready to absorb what you have for us individually and as a community. Sweep over us, breathe in us, live in us, that we might know in deeper ways together the abundant life you offer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now the bulk of this passage that we've read tonight is the Lord's Prayer. Or as we hear around here, our, the Our Father, right? <laughs> that this is a prayer that the disciples were taught by Jesus. And it's a prayer that uh, my mom was just talking about a couple of Sundays ago when I called. And we were talking about just life in general. And she said... You know, I think I'm going to talk to the pastor and make a suggestion, which whenever she says that, I pray for the pastor. (laughs) And he's a good pastor. (laughs) And her suggestion was that, I don't know if she's even got to you yet about this, so here we go. We're going to have a very public conversation that we should pray the Lord's Prayer more often together. We want to make sure that we don't forget this prayer. And there are some suggestions I don't agree with with my mom, but this one I do. This one I do. In that if we read this prayer, pray this prayer, and reflect on this prayer, we will find that it forms us in some vital ways. It forms us in our understanding of God as our Father. It forms us in understanding that we are called to live a life in which his name is known as holy as we live out holiness in our world. If we pray this prayer, right, 
We're called into an understanding of God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. If we pray this prayer, we're invited to ask God for the daily bread that is needed in our lives in all the ways in which we need that. And then what we're going to be particularly looking at tonight is this, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us as we forgive. Now, not in this particular version found in Matthew, but in many of our church traditions, we end the prayer with a particular phrase. And there it is. So let's say that together. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Some forget, drop an ever, some do other things with it. But here is what I find so important about this ending, is it grounds my hope in that it is by God's kingdom and power and glory that this could even begin to become true in my life and in our life together. It is in God's work in me and through me that I might begin to really understand what it means to call God, the creator of all, our Father. Our Father. One who knows me and loves me. One who knows you and loves you. One who knows all of us and loves us. So this, this closing phrase gives me hope because it moves it from maybe what I can do to allowing God to breathe this prayer in me. And that as I, I pray it, N.T. Wright talks about it, as I pray it, it's like putting on clothes that maybe don't quite fit, but I will grow into it. Does that make sense? I I grow into this prayer. And particularly, I think, if we pray it, certainly corporately, it is a community prayer, is it not? Our, we, all that stuff, it's for us together. But I find also if I take some time and pray it slowly and pause between those phrases allowing some time for God to begin to speak into my life in which that prayer is being known in my life and the ways in which God wants to make them known in my life. Does that make sense? That we sometimes, especially uh, in New England, I think sometimes, have you ever been with a group who kind of does the speed praying version of it? I remember a long time ago doing a funeral up at DeWare's, and like we started, our father, and I tell you, that whole congregation was done before I even got to the second line. I like, I don't even know how they did it, how they got that many words in there. And that's community prayer in that moment. But there's space for us to slow down and really hear the calling of this prayer upon our lives. But let's get back to this kind of daily bread And this forgiveness, both receiving and extending this forgiveness. I have become more and more convinced that forgiveness is the very core of our Christian life as disciples. It's the very core of what it means to even begin to be the community God has called us to be. It's central to Christ's calling in our lives, right? It's essential for knowing the promises of Scripture of abundance. It all gets stopped up. That's clear in this Matthew passage. It all gets stopped up when forgiveness gets stopped up. And it's necessary to our witness to the world. 
It is when we as a people, as a church congregation, as a university campus, live out this Lord's prayer of forgiving, of receiving forgiveness and extending this forgiveness, that we have a witness. That people say they're known by their love. I mean, that doesn't mean that we're just kind of a kumbaya kind of group, right? It means that we're working out the hard stuff of living in community, but they know that we're marked by this receiving and extending forgiveness one to another. Forgiveness is certainly something I've been thinking about for a long time. I mean, I would have been modeled it first and foremost in my home, in which the expectation, of course, was if you say you're sorry, that your actions change. If you're asking for forgiveness, you actually begin to live life differently. You don't keep stealing quarters from your your daddy's uh, drawer, bottom drawer there. Sorry, Dad. Glad you forgave me for that. Your actions change. But I also was introduced to it in the prayer that many of us prayed something like this, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Guide my life. Help me to do your will. In your name, amen. Powerful prayer. I remember the first time I responded to an invitation in which I was challenged by the pastor to come and offer my life to Christ and receive forgiveness and live new life. Powerful prayer. But I also remember multiple times at lots of camps and other services returning to the altar and praying that prayer again. And I think there was beauty in that, and God honored that earnest-seeking heart. But I think, I think that we needed to spread forgiveness and the need for forgiveness in our life and the place for confession from just, in at least how I understood it, as being one who was the prodigal to bigger than that. So we have this painting here. Many of you probably have seen this one before. It's Rembrandt's painting of the, prodigal, the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. And and many of you know the story of the one who kneels before the father, who ran away, who told the father, I want to regard you as dead. I want the inheritance. I I don't want anything to do with this family. I, I just want to go live life. Runs away. Spends all the money. Has this moment among the pigs where he comes to himself and returns, thinking through what he'll say to the father. And the beauty of this reception, the beauty of this reception. So as we talked about this morning, the repentance, which is a turning of your life in a new direction, turning from where you've been towards God, a new, right? Beautiful. But then if you look into the upper region, if you can see it, you see in the shadows the face of the elder son. He's never left the father's house. He's worked hard in the Father's house. He's given his life away in the Father's house. But the story tells us something about what happened, not by rebellion. I don't know all the story, 
Maybe it's by busyness. Maybe by the weight of, of working the fields. Maybe it's in the relationships with others that wore him out. Whatever happened, he comes to this moment and he's separated from the Father. And there's some place in which he needs to say, I want to come home too. I want to return to you as well. And so there's, do you hear that? There's a place for the, for the rebel. There's a place for the prodigal. There's a place for the one who's run away. But there's also a place for one who's just gotten absorbed with other things and forgotten that there was beauty and grace and love in the Father's house. Forgotten those baptismal waters we talked about this morning. Forgotten the love of the Father. And not only does this one need to know the forgiveness and be received back into that love in a full way with the Father, but he then also has to forgive. Because what does he refer to his brother as? Not his brother. This son of yours. Right? This son of yours who comes back here and you throw a big party for it. This son of yours who did this. This son of yours who called you dead. This son of yours who caused havoc in our home. This son of yours who left me behind too. And so there is this work of grace in which we, those of us, and many of us are those kind of folks, if we're out on a Wednesday night, are the ones who hang out in the Father's house, who work in the Father's house, who give our lives away to the workout in the fields and have to work out the relationships with everybody else that we're working the fields with, and yet we can find ourselves completely bereft of knowing the Father's love. And so then that confession is, my heart has gotten hard, O God. My heart has gotten hard. Wash over me anew. Forgive me. And Lord, help me to forgive my brother. That they become my brother again. Help me to forgive your son. So that we can pray our father together, right? Help me to forgive my sister. Help me to forgive this daughter of yours, that we might together pray our Father. Give us this day our daily bread. In a room of this many folks, there are lots of stories of forgiveness. Some are that are deep and hard, sometimes with a, that, that damage that is in places that it can take a while to let that forgiveness flow in us and through us. And so when I tell stories about my own journey, I'm always aware that sometimes my stories of pain or hurt are so little compared to some other stories But I think in all of our stories, God wants to do a new thing of setting us free from hearts taken over by bitterness and anger. One of the first times I was really confronted with uh, a really strong sense of bitterness was when I was in high school, and I was absolutely furious at a district leader. 
I was absolutely furious at the way um, that particular district leader uh, dealt with my parents. And I was convinced at that point, I, t- I had enough of an experience of God's grace to want to always be a disciple of Christ. But I was absolutely convinced that I would stay in the church, but not the Church of the Nazarene, and certainly not a denomination. I was going to find some independent church, because certainly those don't have any problems at all. (laughs) And I was in this service with an evangelist, and some of the older folks might remember Paul Martin, who was a great evangelist in the church, who told great stories, which was a great way to get my attention, and was really funny, which was another great way to get my attention. And so I was laughing and enjoying, and and it was all good. And then uh, at the end of the service, he began to talk about this call to surrender everything, this call to give your life over to God. And he began to talk about the things that maybe have taken hold of your life, that that you need to let go of so that God can do a new thing within you. And he he talked about addictions, and I'm like, I think I'm okay there. He talked about, you know, whatever he named, I was like feeling pretty good. No Holy Spirit conviction. I'm all right. (laughs) And then he got to the place where he said, some of you are deeply angry with somebody else. And that bitterness is filling your heart in such a way that God's love doesn't have a place to breathe and be. And as soon as he said that, I knew it was me. And I'm so thankful that in that moment, I responded to that call of the Holy Spirit to give that anger and give that bitterness to God. Because God did an amazing work on that night in which my life was fully surrendered to God. And he truly did remove that anger and that bitterness that I might be free to love and care for others. Still, now, and hear this, still understanding what happened was wrong. Okay? It doesn't change me to say that's now right, but now I don't carry that in that way that it was directing my life and it was removed that I might be directed by the work of the Holy Spirit. And really from that time on, there's been this deep commitment within me not to let bitterness take root, not to let anger ever be the direction of my decisions or my footsteps. But I find for that to be true, I need to know the new mercies of God every day. I need to pray the Lord's Prayer and be still and allow God to speak into those places that need a new touch from God. The places where anger was beginning to take root in a way that was controlling my life. I needed to be able to name what was consuming me and nothing I find as more tantalizing to be consumed by my heart than hurt and anger. The journey of living out forgiveness is not easy, but it's good. It's good. This this call to have a heart health, a orthocardia, is this call to be a people who can breathe and live out the promises of God who can breathe in that forgiveness for the ways in which they've gotten distracted and breathe out forgiveness into the lives of others. There's this living understanding that I am one who has received amazing grace, and that grace then must be offered, must be offered 
to others. In, um, I, I also find in the Lord's Prayer, with that slowing down, that there's times when I also will take the Lord's Prayer and insert somebody else's name into it. And sometimes that's when I'm praying for somebody I love, and I don't know how to pray for them. So I'll pray for Corey's father, who art in heaven. How will be your name in Corey's life? Thy will be done in Corey's life. And sometimes I take somebody's name who I know I'm battling that kind of bitterness and anger with. Because sometimes people are in your life and, and the damage keeps coming back in, doesn't it? They, there's something about their living in your life that still creates havoc And so sometimes I need to slow down and pray the Lord's Prayer over them because my natural prayer, let's name the person Joe. I hope there's no Joe here tonight, but it's not you if if you are. My natural inclination, if I'm really angry, I'm praying, Joe, uh, Lord, would you convict Joe of his wrongdoing? (laughs) Lord, would you lead him to come to me and say he's sorry? Lord, would you do a good work in Joe's life so that he might see how wrong he is and how right I am? (laughs) But if I pray, oh, Joe's father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name in Joe's life. Doesn't it spread it all of a sudden from my agenda to God's agenda in our life together? And it moves Joe from being this, your son, O God, to being my brother again. And so forgiveness is received and forgiveness is given. And sometimes as you read through scripture and the study of scripture, you find yourself tripped up into something like this. Hebrews 12. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy without holiness. No one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. In our backyard is a weed that is a powerful weed. I've tried to get rid of it. I'm not a gardener, so I probably didn't do all I could, but I've tried to. And if I leave the garden alone for any bit of time. And there's no winter to kill everything off. I know you feel bad for me, but there's no winter that kills everything off. (laughs) So the weed just keeps growing and growing. And this weed has a way of twirling around all the plants. And And it's so insidious that it wraps itself around the leaves so the leaves are crushed where they can't even open to receive the sun. And I find that there are times, especially for those who the pain has been long and dark, and many times, especially when some of that root of right anger was over ways they were harmed by people that they trusted, that it takes a while to untangle the weed. And so there's a place in which, as we begin to talk about forgiving others, of receiving forgiveness and forgiving others, that that is sometimes a longer process for some folks, and it's okay. 
We need to be with them and walk with them and understand that the pain and the harm of that has had a while to wrap itself around all parts of their being. And that the work of grace, the work of God, is active and a beautiful thing, but it will take some time. Sometimes it takes some work with a counselor, and that's the way God is working that forgiveness in them into the very deep places of that root. Does that make sense? Sometimes it takes them bringing parts one to the altar, part two to the altar. And I've walked with people that have three, four, five. Their journeys are so deep and painful. But that, too, is a work of grace. And so this call to forgive isn't to be slammed on somebody, right? Isn't to be foisted on somebody and said, you have to forgive now. It is a gift of grace that God is saying, I can do this in you. And if you will let me untangle that weed, your life can open up to receive the sunlight I want to pour upon you, the grace I have for you, and that we have to be faithful partners as God is doing that work. And I I find myself often talking with people in which I have to kind of speak to what forgiveness is not. And, And part of that is to give some breathing space to people who sometimes think forgiving is forgetting. It's not forgetting. It's every story of forgiveness in the scriptures is somebody remembering the story of forgiveness, right? And so it's part of our story, the story of receiving forgiveness and giving forgiveness. So to forgive another is not to forget because whatever happened that caused that challenge is part of your story of who you are. It doesn't mean reconciliation. It can, and that's a beautiful thing. But there are limits to that. There are sometimes people in your life you're called to forgive and release into God's hand who actually can still cause harm. And so that's not going to be a reconciliation. And there's some people who aren't ready to be reconciled. It's not condoning. It's not giving approval to the action. It doesn't make an excuse for the bad or hurtful behavior that came into your life. Do you hear that? It's not minimizing or dismissing what happened and saying that wasn't as bad as all that. It was bad as all that. It was bad as all that. Forgiveness involves taking the offense seriously and not passing it off as inconsequential or insignificant. Forgiveness is not pardoning. A pardon is a legal transaction, and sometimes the most loving thing is actually to have the person have to face the legal consequences of what they did. Again, all of this is part of the prayerful journey as you bring it before God and let God do this work in you. And forgiveness is not trust. A person has to be trustworthy to be trusted. And there are some people in places of their lives that they're not trustworthy. And yet, you can forgive. You can forgive. I don't know if many of you saw Rick and Kay Warren's interview that was on with Pierce Morgan. And part of what they talked about 
was their sense of call to forgive the person who illegally sold their son the gun that he used to kill himself. It's a powerful story that they shared of faith. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I encourage you to see it. But in that particular piece, they said, we don't even know his name, but we knew that we had to forgive him so our heart could be free to be about the things God wants us to be about. And then I was, I was just kind of poking around on some news things, and I found this story of Mary Johnson is her name. And this is what she says about this journey she had with the young man who killed her son when he was just 20. She says, but for Johnson, her faith guided her on an unpredictable journey and eventually led her to embrace Israel in a, a prison conference room following a two-hour conversation. I don't think she condoned, I don't think she minimized in that two-hour conversation. Afterwards, Johnson became hysterical and doubled over in shock and kept repeating the phrase, I just hugged the man that murdered my son. It was then Johnson recalls that she was set free. I felt something leave me, she said. Instantly, I knew all the hatred, bitterness, and animosity. I knew it was gone. I knew it was gone. And eventually, this young man, that um, Israel that she's talking about, was released from prison and now lives in the apartment next to Mary and her family. And Mary and Israel go to schools and talk about this journey of forgiveness. Not all the stories end in that reconciliation, but that's a beautiful one, isn't it? What God can do when we surrender this heart that is so easily tantalized by holding on to anger and bitterness. Stanley's going to come and play a song called I Surrender. It's a simple song. It's that old message from the evangelist from years ago. Are you willing to surrender that which consumes your heart? That God might fill it. That God might fill it. For it is God's work. For God's is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. I just invite you as this song is played and sung that you join in as a prayer. And in that prayer, you might name before God places within your heart that you know need to be where he does a new thing and allows forgiveness to dwell within you and that he begins to direct your steps to know how you might begin to forgive another. And if you do want to pray with somebody, this altar is always open. Pray with us, not over us. I surrender all All to Thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender.
I place all heaven with its power, and the sun with its brightness, and the snow with its whiteness, and the fire with all the strength it hath, and the lightning with its rapid wrath, and the winds with their swiftness along their path, and the sea with its deepness, and the rocks with their steepness, and the earth with its starkness. All this I place by God's almighty help and grace between myself and the powers of darkness, between myself and the power of bitterness, that I might be set free, that we might be set free to know each other as brother and sister who together pray. And let's pray this together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Go in peace. Go in peace. Grace be with you.